The Rough Drafts Podcast is sponsored by Unicorn.com, the world's premier esport betting site. Log on today to bet on all your favorite esports titles at the simple click of a button. Choose your game, choose your team, earn Unicorns, and who knows, maybe you'll earn enough to enter to win any number of fabulous prizes, such as Logitech peripherals or CSGO skins in their marketplace. Unicorn.com. Log on today. Hello Internet, this is Chase Redshirt King Wassenaar. I am a free agent, head coach, and analyst, as well as a contributor at Slingshot Esports. And welcome to the EU LCS Finals edition of the Rough Drafts Guest Alliance podcast presented by Slingshot. We are here, ladies and gentlemen. Everything that the summer split has been building towards has led us to this very moment. In one corner, the titan of the league, the returning champion, G2 Esports. And in the other... Splice! Splice did it! The underdog story of the year throughout the West, one of the feel-good stories, really, at the end of the day. They are our finalists. There's so much at stake and so much on the line uh, with both of the series here. And I can't think of anyone that I'd rather break all of it down with than my good friend, Walter C. Svedchuk. Walter, how are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing all right. Uh, watching the semifinals this past weekend was uh, a very fun experience. It was very enjoyable. We had some really good games. And all four of these teams were exactly who we thought they were. So It is pretty incredible. Well, I'm going to say this. I think that if we go back and listen to the podcast, I was higher on Splice th- uh, than you were. You yes. were very happy with how H2K was looking. Yep. So I get to claim... Minor bonus points on that. We both agreed, though, that the smartest thing was to say over four and a half maps. So we won that smart money bet. Yep. We knew this was going to a five-game series. So we ended up making you guys $65 in profit over the week because G2 did not get a 3-0 over Unicorns of Love. Our yep. bad. That's $1,009 you guys would have in your pockets right now if you bet $100 on all of our smart money bets. We're here for you guys. We're making money for you every week on this podcast. And we're going to do it again with these finals. This will be our last chance until regionals to really break these kinds of things down. And I guess we should start with those semifinal series because they both lead into our third place and finals matchups. So let's start with Splice versus H2K, the only one in which you and I disagreed on who we thought was going to win. Let's start with H2K then because going into this, you were very high on them. Yeah, and I you, thought they were playing. Yeah, I thought they were playing exceptionally well um, towards so, the end of this last like week and in the quarterfinals. So what happened? What what went wrong for the team that you had all of this faith and everything in going into so, the Splice series? So this is a fatal flaw that I've discussed before with with forgiven teams is that they like to fast push early towers and they did exceptionally well at that in week nine and even shifting into the new standard laning meta, they did very well at fast pushing early towers, getting out early. Really kind of spreading across the map, Yonko's really moving around, but after they take like those first outer towers and even start getting out of the inner towers, there's just some fatal flaw in terms of their macro play where they just don't understand rotations 
to like their fullest extent. They aren't very crisp on them. They aren't very clean. They definitely had some have some warding issues with Yonkos and and Vander. They don't they don't ward effectively. Um, and at the end of the day, Splice was just able to use a a, be- a better macro game essentially to outplay H2K and sort of let H2K beat themselves. Um, I do want to say I said this on the podcast, but Forgiven played Ash. Yeah. Who knew, right? And that might be the best thing that has ever happened to Forgiven's career is, is what this has shown me is that he is realizing, like you said, he's realizing he was not the primary carry. He is not the number one carry on this team right now, and he needs to do everything that he can to supplement the guys around him. Um, and if they make it to Worlds, I feel like they, they have a pretty good shot because we're seeing the Corky and Ezreal buffs. We're seeing the Triforce 80 carries get buffed. Welcome to the pre-Worlds patch, ladies and gentlemen. This is just what we do every year. And we always pretend like we're not going to do it, and then we do. And then someone from Riot makes an asinine comment about it on Reddit, and then everything goes to hell. That's just the cycle of Worlds continuing. But it is interesting when you look at exactly how H2K broke down, because... I watched all these games when I got back. As I told you guys last week, I was in Boston. So I was seeing the social media clamor before I watched the series. And a lot of people were very mad at Yankos. And I didn't feel like Yankos was the problem. I agree that he had some peculiar pathing decisions in Game 5. But he also was one of the biggest reasons why they were able to get such a lead in Games 1 and 3. You know, he was making really smart ganks most of the time. And... When his unconventional pathing works, we tend to praise him for it. Oh my god, I can't believe Yankos was in this place where no one expected him. Isn't that such a sign of how smart he is as a jungler? And the key, and I think Trashy mentioned this in an interview, is that Splice figured it out by the end of the series. And he started finding fewer and fewer openings. And when they stopped being able to find those openings then suddenly Oduwamne was having a harder time getting in lane. And suddenly Ryu, who had some really weird plays, I think, throughout this series. His Talia, for instance, he just kept throwing the ult wall for no reason. No idea what that was about. It felt like he was very micro-challenged in this series in a way that we're not usually used to from him. Vander obviously played incredibly well, uh, and Forgiven did what he needed to do. But it's a team that really relies on getting ahead early and staying ahead, or they will play so passively until you make a mistake that nothing can happen for a vast majority of the game. And unfortunately, that means that they either win early or they lose very slowly and in a way that is very frustrating to watch. So I guess, Walter, that leaves us to our final question on them. What do they need to do to make sure that this isn't their fate in this third place match? Because this third place match could have huge implications on whether or not they go to Worlds. Well, well, let's be honest here. Unicorns of Love have the exact same issue that H2K do, and they're not nearly as good in the early game. Mm. So that's kind of going to be a wash. I'm not, I'm not very worried for H2K in the third place match. But if we're looking towards the gauntlet and potentially Worlds... They really need to just figure out this late game macro calling, and it's it, it's always been their their bugaboo. Like, it's been their bugaboo for a year. Uh, Kossing when he was on this team, this was their problem. It, it, I don't know who their shot caller is. I don't know what is the problem that it's H two K 
has this macro decision-making problem in the late game. It's just there. It mm-hmm. just exists. I don't know why when they've changed out players, they've kept some players. I, I don't understand why. But that is their biggest problem. That is their fatal flaw. Now that Forgiven has proven, like, yeah, guys, I can play the hardcore carry like Lucian style, but I can also sit back and play like a bitch and play Ash. Yeah. Like, I, if we see him play Jin, my my head's going to explode. Like, that's <laughs> that's the final tick on the... Is is forgiven the ultimate eighty carry? Like, okay, will he play Jin? And the second he plays Jin, it's it's all it's done, boys. Like, it's over. Um, I mean, yeah. to be fair, he's already basically doubled his champion pool in the last week just by adding utility things like Ash and Sivir and <laughs> all of these other things. I mean, this is just something we never thought we'd say about him. Uh, no, and, ever. And, and for the record, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that. The good news is that some of these macro decisions are much easier to fix than others. Uh, warding is something that you can fix pretty easily. You can tell when you watch and go over the VODs that there were places where they could have made adjustments and probably could do a better job of looking for that and they could do a better job of drilling to make sure that they're setting up the right lanes at the right time. I actually really liked their dragon control as a whole throughout the series. They got well more than 50% of the dragons in this game. So... They have that going for them. But the big key is going to be that they need to figure out how to adjust to what an enemy is doing over a best-of-five series. And this is the one knock on Prawley that we can give him throughout his coaching career because H2K has now struggled enough in the playoffs. Why was Oduamne playing Gangplank as often as he was? I just want to know why. I just I look at that matchup. It's a losing matchup against Nar. Wonder's been incredible on the Nar. They keep picking it first rotation, so you know they're heavily prioritizing it. You never made him play anything else. How I, does I that just, happen? I just want to see why why Gangplank. Period. Like I I guess he's the only other ranged character that you can play in the top lane. Like I don't I don't understand the the fixation with Gangplank, especially in the Nar. It's, like I, I think Nar is the most powerful top laner in the game right now. Straight up, I think he is the best top laner, and because because he the the the, char- the other characters you're playing in the top lane, you're seeing Shens, you're seeing Echo, you're seeing Gangplank, maybe Aurelia, and Aurelia is really the only one that kind of goes even or ahead against Nar, um, yeah. but he just harasses him a lot in the early game. And granted, I'm a gold level player, so I get harassed to. Sh- <laughs> by a NAR if I'm playing something like Shen. But it just seems weird that all these players are constantly bashing their head into this NAR wall, and the only player who's been successful is my boy Haunters. Yeah. So I I don't know. I think they need to prioritize NAR a little bit more. Yeah, well, or you def- ban it. You definitely don't want to run into NAR walls. They're very pointy and, and very painful as a general <laughs> rule if you run straight into them. I, uh, you know, and at the end of the day... Let's give credit where credit is due. Splice did a really good job of adjusting to what H2K did. All these things that we're saying, H2K needs to figure out how to play macro. H2K needs to learn how to, you know, to ward better. H2K needs to learn how to adjust their picks of bands. That's what Splice did this entire series. After every loss, you saw significant changes in jungle pathing for Trashy, in objective control and, and what they prioritized, in vision and how they tried to path everything out and the way that they picked these fights. 
That is Splice in a nutshell. They are a beautiful macro team. And Walter, when you watch this team and, and you think about you know, what their ceiling is right now, we're going into the finals. What did you see in this series that really made you think, yeah, this team could be our European champions? Uh, I saw resiliency. Um, I saw a young team that did not crack under pressure uh, against a veteran team. Um, especially when they got, you know, lost the lost the, you know, the first game, they understood what their win condition was. They understood where they needed to get to in terms of the macro play. Um, they're very crisp. They're very clean. They had their strategy of we want our tanks to be Nar and Gragas, and that's what they kept doing. They went for the Nar. They went for the Gragas because they knew Yankos wasn't going to play Gragas, and they just kept first picking that Nar. And then they built their compositions around there and added a lot of different wrinkles to it mm-hmm. um i think that senkux is kind of ascended to where we sort of expected him to be his champion pool has expanded the fact that he drew so many aurelian soul bands i think it was just h2k it was sort of like when when tsm banned alistar i think every game in season four mm-hmm. as a support just every game is alistar in italy Al- didn't matter what side i think that was more h2k was like we just don't want to play against aurelian soul um, but if Senkux has that champion, he has you know he could potentially have Aurelian Soul. He has the Talia, he has Cassidy, he has the other you know more meta stuff. Orianna is back in the mix at any point now. Um, I I just think this team is running on all cylinders. I think they finally found their niche. They showed that they really understood how the patch worked, and I think it fits in with them that even though they won't get a lead in the early game. Um, they can kind of just sit consistently and get farm. And Wonderware has proven that he is the best top laner in Europe, by far. He is, he is fantastic. Even if you're only going to put him on Nar, sure, he makes some dumb decisions still. Yeah. He gets caught out, especially in Game 3. There were a lot of times where he got caught out, and that allowed Oduwamne's Gangplank to sort of snowball off the kills. Um, but for the most part, he's he's really intelligent when his TPs come in. He's really intelligent of when to flash to use the the Nar ultimate, um, and he constantly will get you know two three players uh, in those in those alts. So, looking at Splice, they're my favorite to win Europe right now. Yeah, I loved what I saw, and you know you, you brought up a good point about their resiliency. I want to go on that for a bit because if you watched Game One, you saw a team that looked nervous. They had, the, they had some jitters. They made some bad rotations. Wonder teleporting to the top lane tower while it was being dove. So he died, teleported in, and then died again was probably the most hilarious moment of the semifinals for me. Uh, just from a, a pure, you know, you can imagine the Benny Hill music kind of going on in the background. But at the same time, it, it's so amazing to me just how they adapted and how they developed their strategy, and, and even in losing efforts, even in the games in which they lost, they were still picking team fights that looked like they were going well. Even down 10,000 gold, they looked like a threatening team because the, just the sheer communication and the way that they bounce off of each other was so strong. And I'm going to give Yamato Cannon some credit. This is a guy that we used to make fun of on this podcast. I even believe we said in the previews before this season that as long as Yamato Cannon was coaching this team, we were going to have a hard time having much optimism for them. So, Yamato Cannon, this one's for you. I noticed that you never played a mid laner or AD carry that you had lost with. Again, after every single loss, you switched mid laner and AD carry. You started Vlad Ash, lost game one. 
Game two and game three, you have Talia Jin. You're like, look, let's change it up. We got to mix the pace up. Then Talia Jin lose in game three. And you go to Malzahar Siver, and that's how you win games four and five. As soon as H2K showed they could beat something you did, you changed it. You said, okay, they can beat that comp. Can they beat this? You know, we have Narin and Gragas every game. Can they beat these, you know, this mid lane AD carry bundle? Can they beat this one? Can they beat this one? And you kept pushing them until either they were going to have to prove that they could beat everything you threw at them or you were going to win. And I just love that intelligence because it's something like as someone who has coached a team, it is so easy to say, oh, no, no, something went wrong. We could beat them this time. Just let me do it again, coach. They, we, I got this. Just something went wrong in lane or whatever. He said, no, it didn't work. We lost. We're doing something new. And they have to be deeper than us if they're going to beat us. And if you're going to be a top-tier team, if I'm supposed to believe that you could be the best team in a region, I always like to say you got to prove that you are intelligent and you can find multiple ways to win. And I just thought those little adjustments, just seeing how they paired those combos together, how they ensured that they would have those kinds of switch-ups and that they never played a losing matchup again, never gave away that trick a second time, I just thought was so smart. And I love seeing that from them. I think it's something that could take them very far in this series. We got to talk about their opponents in that series. But first, we have to get to the losers. Unicorns of love. We didn't think they were going to be in this position in the first place. Obviously, their series against Giants was an upset. We did make it a smart money bet because we thought there was some value there. But the Unicorns of love were a team that lost more games than they won during the regular season. And here they were against G2. There were very, there were not high hopes, we'll say. Was, did you basically, was it what you expected from Unicorns of Love? Was, was this the best that we could realistically hope for from them? Yeah, absolutely. I, I honestly, even though they lost, it, it was 3-1. It was, all four of the games were reasonably close until they had to get into this, you know, sort of late game decision making point. And um, they just aren't good at it. They're just no. very bad at macro decision making in the late game. They held their own in laning phase. Um, Veritas and, and Hillisan at points were really kind of taking it to Sven and Mithy. Vizichachi in the top lane was manhandling expect for the most part. Um, and it, it just sort of came down that, that G2 at the end was just better in the team fight, better in the macro game phase. That It very easily could have gone to game five. Mm-hmm. It very easily could have gone to a game five. In game four, there was a, there was a couple calls that Unicorns Love made towards the the, the mid game, going in towards you know the, the later stages of the game, where it was just like ah, oh, if they just if they just rotated one different direction or had a ward in one place or, or didn't go for that Baron, maybe they could have pulled it out and this would have been a five game series. And it, it was definitely it definitely said more to me about G two some of their deficiencies in the early game um, than it did anything about Unicorns of Love. It was scrappy. They were underdogs. They filled that role to a T. But, you know, they just didn't hit, hit that half-court shot at the end. That's kind of what happened. They needed to have just just one moment in that series to really turn things around, and it just bricked off the front of the glass. Yeah, I, I think when you break down the series, they were messy, um, and that kind of leads one often to believe that the games are closer than, you know, when you look at the actual gold differences. Most of the time, G2 had a pretty considerable lead. 
mostly because they were much better taking objectives than Unicorns of Love were. The difference between a team like H2K and a team like Unicorns of Love is that when Unicorns of Love lose, their early game is usually rough. But when they win, it's because they snowball, they get the early towers, they get the early leads, whatever. Unicorns of Love, whether they're winning or losing, they seem to have a struggle rotating properly. There was a moment where they ended up having their top laner uh, teleport to save a wave to the top lane after uh, G2 had already rotated to take that top tower. Instead of teleporting to the bot lane where they would have had a man advantage and could have made it a tower trade, there was no immediate pressure for the for the wave, so it wasn't something he had to do. It was just instinctively, oh, well, I'm a top laner, got to go back up to top lane. And they ended up passing up the opportunity to take a tower and keep the early game gold even as a result. And I just saw things like that happening all the time. And that's something that, you know, mid to low tier teams do. I mean, obviously Unicorns of Love proved last week they are not a low tier team. I think they're a mid tier team. And I think that the gap between the top tier and the mid tier right now exposed itself this weekend because of the four teams, three of them had some sense of how to take objectives and how to use those objectives to further their leads, and one didn't. And the game that Unicorns of Love won, funnily enough, Exile, my man, the guy that we went into the season saying, who is this guy? He's never played for anybody. This is going to be a disaster area, and looked like a disaster for a good portion of the split, to be clear, has now become possibly the best guy on this team he'll be a great mid laner for rocket next year oh i mean please can't can, <laughs> is that, can, can unicorns of love just become our feeder team i would love that so I'm, you guys are gonna get exile and veritas are you okay with that if i get exile i don't want veritas we could no <laughs> i don't want veritas you know, the sad part about that joke is it didn't even register that that was implying that Steelback would leave because I've already just accepted that he's going. Oh. <laughs> so it's just like, oh, yeah, that's not shocking anymore. The fact that I'm going to lose the only thing that kept me going this whole split, whatever. Let's just think about could I deal with a split of rooting for Veritas? I'm not quite willing to go there yet, but I totally would root for Exile. I think that Exile has shown an, a, a huge improvement in his champion pool, in his ability to roam. I, you know, I, 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 we're going to get to it with G2, but I think that this series was much more him stepping up than I think it was Perks necessarily being a poor player the way that some people oh, will like to oh, paint let's not let, let me not kid here. Perks was still on vacation in Croatia. Okay, let's, talk, let's get to there then. This series. What, what happened? What, you know, because if you looked at the numbers, if you just purely looked at KDA, you do not get the story of what happened with Perks this series. So let's break it down. Let's put on our analyst glasses for a second. What happened to Perks? How did we get here with G2? He looks completely disinterested. Like, he just, he just looked like he didn't care. He was overextending without vision. He was just getting caught out in really, like, basic situations where you're like, yeah, and me as a jungler going, like, yeah, I'd make that gank. And I'm yeah. in gold. Like, come <laughs> on, dude. Like, you got to just play smarter. And I get that they were really using Trick to try and sort of bully move and really focus on the top and the, and the bot lane. Bot lane, that, you know, especially. They were really bot lane focused on Zen and Mithy. Yeah. But Perks was just, Perks didn't give a f***. <laughs> he just didn't care. Yeah. 
And I mean, fine, whatever. It is Unicorns of Love. Like, I can see that you're kind of, like, shrugging it off. Like, eh, whatever. We're going to get through this anyways. I don't have to try. But this speaks more to, like, a larger part of an issue that we have with G2 and we probably have with Perks. Is like, you guys can be the bad guys all you want. You can be the villains. There, there needs to be a villain. There always needs to be a bad guy. And in North America, it's it's sort of been TSM. It's pretty much been TSM. They're kind of painted as the bad guys, but they're painted as the bad guys like the Patriots are painted as the bad guys. Well, You're sick of them winning. They're good at the game. Blah. And for the record, Reggie just dropped one of the greatest things I have ever seen as far as owner statements go. To the extent that I don't think they're the bad guys anymore. This is like when Deflategate happened and everyone's like, okay, well, we'll root for the Patriots because it's against the NFL. Yeah. I'm rooting for TSM this week. I'm going to go yeah. out telling you now, I, uh, I'm sorry, Cloud9. Actually, no, I'm not. But, <laughs> but I have actively, for the first time in my life, I am rooting for TSM because it's so easy for owners in his position to stay silent, and he didn't. So they, they are turning the bad guy narrative around there. I mean, I think you hit it on the head when you talk about Perks and that he did look apathetic this series. How do you go 0-3-3 on a Malzahar when your team has 19 kills in a stomp victory? All you have to do is use Malefic Visions. That's it. It's not hard. You'll get assists like crazy. How? You just you have to actively decide not to show up for any of your fights. It's, it's almost impressive. And, you know, to be fair, he had a very good Talia game in Game 3 that is going to be forgotten because the rest of his performances were as subpar as they are. But at the same time, you've really just got to wonder, does that put a ceiling on what the rest of his team can do? Because obviously, this was a smash. They won this Series 3-1. It really should have been 3-0 had they just not had the just lackadaisical effort that they did in game two where they just let move gank freely for no apparent reason. But does Perks and the way he's playing right now put a ceiling on what G2 is capable of in this finals? It does if the, if this Perks shows up. If the Perks is still on vacation and is completely apathetic and doesn't care, shows up, there's definitely a ceiling on what happens. If he if that perks doesn't show up and the perks from split from spring split shows up, the one that's styling kids, the one that is arguably the best player in, in Europe in terms of mid lane, um, it'll be one hell of a series, and G two will be in a really good place to try and win it. I'm just afraid that the organization is a little too player friendly and aren't lighting a fire under his ass. Because to me. If I have a guy that shows up and he and he does half the shit that he did in, in the Unicorns of Love series and he acts the way that he did and he played as poorly as he did because he was probably the worst player for G2 and may have been, you know, he, he wasn't in the top five players in that series. He wasn't in the top seven players in that series to me. He was very mediocre. And if I'm Young Buck, I'm Ocelot, I'm going to him being like, dude, like, you're our guy. You're the spokesperson. Like, no one else on this team talk shit. Mm-hmm. Zven and Mithy do, but it's usually in response to someone else, and it's not really talking shit. It's just more like saying the truth. Like, yeah, I'm the best AD carry in Europe. Okay. Where Perks is the one that's actively going out and, and doing stuff. And if you make a video that is as villainesque as bad boy <laughs> pistons, 
as that that video that you made, which was way better than the shit that Riot put out, let me tell you what. And I'll get to that after we're done. I, <laughs> I hate that video. You got to back it up. And to me, Perks didn't. Perks didn't back it up. And now we get a matchup between Perks and Senkux that we got to see a year ago. Last summer in the Challenger Series. And I'm excited. I'm excited to see these two teams play again. But Perks has really got to show up if this is going to be an actual series. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. And honestly, my concern is that if Perks isn't on point, well, now you need a lot out of Expect and you need a lot out of Sven and Mithy. And to be honest, Sven and Mithy did not look as amazing in this series as I was expecting them to. Obviously, Sven had a great game four. Overall, they, they did their job very well. But you would think that Veritas and Hillisang are a bot lane that you should be able to bully over and over and over again if you're Sven and Mithy. And they weren't at that level. They were winning the lane by a teeny bit, but they weren't dominating the lane in a way that Sven potential MVP award, depending on who you ask, just in the sheer amount of votes that he got for the All-Pro team should be dominating a lane that has Veritas as the AD carry. And expect, as you said, you know, he had moments where he looked good. He had moments where Vizicacci was taking it to him. This whole series came down to Trick is the best player in Europe, and he's going to be back-to-back MVP, and he's going to have absolutely earned it. And we're going to look at all of this and say, well... What more can Trick do, and is that going to be enough when you go against a team that is as cohesive and as focused on these macro ideas as Splice is? And I'm not sure that Trick alone is, is going to be enough to tip them over the edge if they don't have a winning or at least even lane in that mid lane to give Trick the security to go elsewhere. G2 needs to have a pretty massive lead, I think. Mm-hmm coming out of the early game because their their macro play is decent, their rotational play is good. I don't think it's nearly as good as Splice's. That's that's the problem. And and we're going to get to that. But first, we've got to talk about this third place match. H2K versus Unicorns of Love. And this does actually have very big implications on how things break down. If you look at the championship points right now for Europe. So if Unicorns of One win this, they get 70 points compared to the 40 you get for fourth place. That would put Unicorns of Love in sole possession of the three seed with 80 points. So they would be the highest team on the gauntlet should they beat H2K in the series. That's amazing. Just like they were last year, by the way, guys. Oh, my God. Now, if H2K wins and Splice loses, they jump from 70 points to 100 points. So they would be the two seed and automatically qualify. So if H2K wins, they guarantee themselves that they will at least be the top seed in the gauntlet. And if G2 wins the series, they would automatically get in on points and Splice would be going back to the gauntlet. So there's a lot on the line in this series. This is a third place game that matters. And Walter, when you're looking at what it's going to be that's going to push either one of these teams over the edge... What's the big marker for you that you're looking towards to try to make sense of this? Which, What's which the team, difference maker here? Which team sucks least at macro decision making? <laughs> like, that's 
me, that's what it comes down to. Um, I don't think Exile would be able to take advantage of Ryu at all. I think Ryu is just too smart of a player. He's too safe of a player. Mm. Um, I mean, Chachi might be able to give Omni some problems. That, that's probably an issue to me. But, man, oh, man, when I think of Forgiven and Vander versus Veritas and Hellasong, I just, my mouth is salivating. Like, I am just drooling with the thought of seeing Forgiven eat Veritas alive. I take a, I take a sick pleasure in watching <laughs> Forgiven dismantle other players. I remember at one point in this series, I think he was playing Ash, where they're like, he shouldn't win this. Yeah, was, Jin and Braum, like, chunked them out. Splice chunked them out early on. And somehow Forgiven is still ahead in CS at like five, six minutes. It was amazing. It was a Jin. It was Jin and Braum versus Ash Tom Kench. Oh, and are. Ash Tom Kench does not win that lane early because Jin and Braum just chunks them out and gets them out. And he was still winning on CS. And the casters are losing their minds. I was like, losing my mind. And I was watching about a bot. <laughs> oh my it was God. amazing. It was amazing to watch. Just... The way he gets the wave set up, where every volley he was doing was getting like two CS and hitting the and hitting uh, Kabe, like he is he is arguably one of the best laning eighty carries in the West, if not maybe the world. Yeah, he's good. He's good at the laning phase. He's very good at it. It is a shame that this is going to be the last time we're going to see Forgiven in competitive play. Even as someone who does not like him as and as a personality. As someone off the rift, I, I I don't tend to like the way he carries himself. As a player, he's really fun to watch. And it's amazing to see just how he was able to grow this champion pool and take on a supplementary role and do something that he was never able to do at any other point in his career. And maybe it's because he hasn't been playing. I mentioned this last week. My theory is that uh, even H2K said he hadn't played in like two months before they called him and said, can you please come save us? Freeze has tendonitis, and we need an AD carry. So maybe he just recognized that he wasn't going to be able to out-micro people in that same sense, but I don't know. I, I think the guy has just finally learned how to be a teammate, and it's unfortunate that the teammates he's paired with right now are flawed. And I'm going to disagree with you on Ryu. I think Ryu can be taken advantage of. And that's one of the things that I'm looking for here. I, I think it's going to become a Yankos versus move thing. For once, I'm saying it's going to come down to the jungle matchup. Because I think the pathing here is going to be hugely important for getting the right lanes ahead. Oduamne and Vizichachi both prove they play very well when they have a lead in lane, and very poorly when they don't. They have a very hard time coming back from a lane deficit. So getting those two ahead is going to be huge. If move can get exile ahead over Ryu, Ryu's been sloppy. He's, he's usually safer than he was in this last series. He's usually more aware of his cooldowns and, and making better use of these kind of micro-mechanical moves than he was last week. And maybe that's a one-off. But H2K has this monkey on their back. And it's Yankos, it's Vander, and it's Forgiven, who have never made it to Worlds. Three of the best players to play in the West over the last two to three years of their careers and have never made it to Worlds. And they're this close. And Lulex has made it to Worlds. And Lulex made it to Worlds. And these guys haven't. And if for H2K, this, this is their chance to cement themselves as an organization. 
and to redeem in many ways the careers of three of their players who are all just looking for that one shot to prove themselves on an international world stage. For Givens' last hurrah, there's so much pressure on the line here. And H2K have got to win that mental battle. And that, in my opinion, almost always comes down to, are the jungle paths sound? Are the lanes taking advantage of it? Is their vision coming from it so they set themselves up for future plays down the line? Who is playing smarter? And right now, I think we both agree that that looks to be H2K Gaming. But the variable of, you know, H2K has everything on the line. And Unicorns of Love have nothing to lose, man. If they win the series, things work out great for them. They have better seeding in the, in the regionals. But they're going to the regionals no matter what. They're going to be, you know, they're going to have time to prep for whoever they want to play. Their first round opponent will be someone they already beat. And Fnatic did not look particularly scary. It can only go uphill from here, whereas things can only be mentally distracting for H2K. But, but, but here's the thing. How long can Unicorns of Love get away with the, like, ah, there's no expectations of us card? I feel like since their inception, it's been a, I mean, we have no pressure because no one expects anything out of us because we're Unicorns of Love. Like, do we need to end that next spring and be like, no, this team is making the playoffs just so they they, they have to prove whether they fail or succeed? Well, I mean, to be fair, we don't ex- they change, like, four of their players every split. <laughs> Like, we can't say, like, oh, yeah, this group of players is something we can trust. It's the, at this point, what we can really say, and this is something that, you know, I think Enemy Chachi made a very good point of when he did his statement yesterday. And we're not, I, I, we keep mentioning the statements. We're not talking about the issue because if you've been listening to this podcast for, you know, for, at any point, you know our stance on Riot. You know none of this surprises us. So there's no reason to go into something we already were well aware of in the first place. And I've been telling you guys about for, over a year now. At least you guys get to say you knew first over the Reddit community. We got that going for you. Um, but the thing that stood out for me in Enemy's post was, yeah, Enemy is a franchise that in other esports, you know, if you, are, if you run management well, you have good owners, good managers, people in, that know how to run a team. You can switch up players, you can make big roster moves, and you can still be successful. And Enemy managed to do that in all of the esports they're currently involved in. And Unicorns of Love is the team that does that in League of Legends. As, as someone who watches Smite, like, they're, they're fantastic in Smite. They really embrace the community. Like, hmm? LCS is missing out by not having Enemy in, in, the, in the LCS just as an organization. <laughs> they're very, very intelligent. And Reddit's honestly missing out on, on our, our podcast by not listening to it. But you know what? Maybe they would listen to it if we weren't seeing posts about Ezreal kissing random champions' legs. <laughs> Who knows? Oh, Who man. Knows? Well, all Ezreal fan fiction aside, where do you think the line on this series is, Walter? Uh, I have H2K at minus 200. Okay. I got this one almost exactly. So okay. I, you, you don't have to feel too badly about this. Okay. I said minus 260. It's minus 263 which gives them a 72.45% chance of winning the series, according to the gambling line. That's fair. Yeah. It's completely I, I, accurate. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, it's like a 75% shot. Yeah, and, and you have to always remember, because uh, we're getting some new listeners now because we're getting closer to the finals. Always remember with casinos, friends, the casino is going to win whether the team you bet on wins or loses because there's a thing called a VIG, if they didn't make money, they wouldn't exist as an entity. 
So there, you don't, you know, if we're saying it's about a 75% chance, that's why the odd is slightly lower than that. But I think that's a very fair line. Unfortunately, it leads us to not a lot of great potential smart money bets here. The two that stand out, we could say Unicorns of Love win map one, which would be plus 140. It would be not surprising to me if H2K has some nerves like the nerves that Splice showed in game one of their series. That's, you know, Unicorns of Love could come up with some sort of cheese. Like, that would be an individual game that I would like. The other one, if we want to swing for the fences, H2K to get the 3 0 no. plus 270. No, no, not happening. Not even a plus 270. Uh, there's not a chance of it happening. Not a chance? No. There's not a chance that Forgiven nope. just goes full god mode and Visichachi keeps crashing to the ground like... How many times have I said series. magic and unicorns of love in the same sentence over the course of the split? I'm not doing that bet. It's okay. not happening. It's not happening. Like, I... Okay. I'm, not, I'm not the most super, superstitious people, but man, their names are unicorns. Come on. There's I some know. magic going there. And I am you a superstitious person. So I, I think that's fair, but then we really have to pick... Because there are a lot of these finicky ones. Oh, both of those suck, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can, yeah. It's, uh, all of the others are right down the middle. If you want H2K to win 3-1 or better, you can get that at minus 111. That's probably the safest. Yeah. Like, that's, that's, I, I think this is a three, I think this is a four-game series. I think it's 3 Yeah. I was going to say, I, I don't, we could do plus 190 to go to five maps, but I don't think it's going to. That's so, not either. We don't usually like doing this because we like getting you guys as much well, value. Well, we need to see what our what our boy Steve says. That, that's maybe, true. Maybe his model says something absolutely ridiculous and it convinces me to go the the H two K three O. I just I don't necessarily see it, but I'm also the guy who thought that CLG might beat TSM. So yeah, well, you were just being that was your superstition coming into play. <laughs> we will invite Steve on very soon, but we do have to do one more line G two versus Splice. It's the finals. It's the moment we've been waiting for all spit long. It's going to be a great series between two powerhouses. Walter, what do you think is going to be, when we're talking next week on the podcast, what are we going to be saying about the team that won this series? Man. Look into the future. What did we, what, what's going to happen with this? Oh, okay. Man, Wonderware is really good. <laughs> and expect is awful. Yeah. Oh, man, wonder where it just crushed expect. I can't believe they gave him NAR three games in a row. <laughs> Four <laughs> games in a row. I Oh man. What do you want me to say? Like I that to me it comes down to wonder where. Like I feel like uh I feel like as a whole talent wise, outside of the top lane, G two is probably better in terms of the individual talent of the players one on one. Um, especially in the bottom lane, I think there's a huge, huge talent differential. Uh, no matter how how much Kabe has improved, Zven is the best AD carry in Europe for a reason. Um, but beyond that, I think the macro play of, of G2 can more than make up for... I think the macro play of, of Splice can more than make up for some of the early game deficits. I think that G2 really needs to get really far ahead um, and just get themselves in a position where it doesn't matter that Splice may be more intelligent and better in those rotations in the late game. There's just more gold on G2. They have better items, and they're going to you know, win the fights. But at the end of the day, like, Trick might have to spend a lot of time with Expect, and I just 
don't see that being a good thing for G2. You know, I think Expect just needs to be put into a lane where he just doesn't die. Don't put him on freaking Gangplank. Don't put him on Echo. Put him on something that's actually going to be, like, safe and utility-wise. You know, some sort of tank or something. But, man, Wonderware is going to eat this kid alive. Expect has not been very good at all. Yeah, it's going to be a very tough series for G2 Esports, the way that they've been playing recently. Now, the one thing they have going for them is they've got the best playmaker, decision maker, and possibly player in Europe in Trick. That always makes things nice for your team. You're always going to want to have a guy like that running operations in a big moment, making these decisions But on the other hand, so much of what goes into who wins the ultimate finals comes down to prep work, it comes down to pick and ban, it comes down to making adjustments. And at the end of the day, I have seen so much from Splice, just what they're capable of and how they handle this pick and ban phase, how they handle these team fighting decisions, how they play as a unit. And I think that right now I trust them to do that more than I trust G2 to match and outpace them in that regard. I know Young Buck is a very good coach. I think Yamato Cannon might be the best coach in Europe right now with the way that he handled that series. And I cannot believe those words left my mouth, Walter. Those are words that I never thought I would be saying. But I just, his pick and ban was something that as a former coach, I genuinely salivated over. I have, I was so impressed by how intelligent it was. And that's just what I keep coming back to here, is that if it's a game five and one of them has to outsmart the other, who do I trust in that situation? Who do I trust to come together as a team? Who do I trust to make the smartest decisions? Who do I trust to set the team up for success in a pick-and-ban phase? And right now my answer is splice, splice, splice. So... Tomato cannon. Tomato cannon, indeed. Fire your tomato cannons, everyone. And Walter... Where do you think the line for this series is? I have G2 at minus 155. Okay, you get this one. We're going to split the week. I said G2 minus 150. G2 minus 222. Uh, Which puts it at a 69% chance of happening. Uh, so Splice? So Splice at plus 165. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, yeah. Lock that in. Uh, I'll put it this way. I don't know what their system is uh, and and how they determine the margins here, but Splice wins this series more than 38% of the time. Absolutely. That's just – to me, this is a a, a no-brainer. But you know what? We have a very good guest that's going to help break all of this down for us and tell us whether it's a no-brainer because – it's such an obvious bet, or it's a no-brainer because we don't have our heads on straight. It is our returning segment by popular demand. Shout out to all the Redditors and Twitter followers who made it clear how much you enjoyed this last week. It's Stats with Steve, Steve Kaffmeyer from Esports Fans, back on the pod. How you doing, Steve? Doing great, Chase. How you doing? We're, we're doing awesome because we just found out we can get Splice over G2 at plus 165. So let's just start there because this to us is the most obvious line that we could have hoped for from a final series. Splice is 
just looked so good in their recent string of victories. They came on strong at the end of the season. They just took out H2K in a very impressive series. What does your model say about what we can expect and whether or not we're getting real value off of that that vet? Well, right now the model has G2 at about a plus 8.2 and Splice at nearly plus 5 which translate to a series price of G2 minus 250. So which my is interesting. model seems to like G2. Yeah, that's interesting because the actual line is minus 222. So your model favors G2 more heavily than the casinos seem to be. Yeah, my model says they probably win in three, like three to one. It, it likes G2 minus 1.5 at about minus 104. So, Is there anything in particular when you're doing the formula that has it stand out so much? Because we were very much on the other end of it just when we were breaking down the analysis. We can get even odds for G2 minus 1.5, which is about where you just put that line. So that would be theoretically the closest to pure value. But what is it about G2? Is it just the regular season dominance, or is there something that we're missing about the way Splice handles things here? What did the numbers say? Well, my, uh, my model doesn't seem to like H2K very much, so mm. when they beat H2K, it's not really giving them a whole ton of points. And you explained last week that it doesn't like H2K because it can't account for the forgiven factor. Well, it can, but... You know, it needs a larger number of games mm. of games to really get it down exactly. But yeah, I think the numbers are right on my side. These are like G two has been around this power rating the whole season. Splice, this is about their season high, and that's just the difference between the two two teams by the numbers. Do you think perhaps though the num- the numbers? I mean, those are the numbers. But do you think that the numbers might not be telling enough about like the late season run Splice has been on and, and about how G two struggled? Or like, do do you think us taking Splice as the underdog is is a decent bet given the numbers? No. no. <laughs> Walter, you're just cr- you're desperately crawling for like, please let us justify this bet. I can feel it. And I feel I, it too. I am. Like, I just, the but problem that, is, I know the numbers are telling me I'm wrong, but there is just like, I, I feel like Wonderware is so much of an upgrade over, over expect that I just, it's hard for me to feel good about that matchup. Yeah. Yeah. But you got to think G2 is either going to ban our picket. Because that's, that's, that's what he think. clutched on the whole series. That's fair. So, so, so you think that the, the G2. Minus one and a half is the be- is the better bet. Yeah, that's what it wants. At plus money, it'll it'll take it. It'll be a small bet though, not not a huge one. Okay. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. I I gotta be honest. Betters at your home who are listening, Steve's the one who is working with the numbers. That's probably the smarter bet because that's what the model says, and the model tends to be right. I'm trusting but we're the test. We're in the black. Let's yeah. go splice. We're going splice. I'm like I know we're wrong. Maybe next week you'll be looking back at us and you'll be making fun of us the way you're going to make fun of us tomorrow when we talk about NA and that ill-advised Immortals bet that we made. But I love what Splice has been doing. I think that when it comes to the playoffs, there are intangibles that you can't measure in a regular season, and 
We're going to go for it. But for the record, now for the first time, guys, you can have Steve versus the podcast. We can see which one of us ends up being right. <laughs> we can have some bragging rights on Twitter or whatever else. We'll have to figure something out. But Steve, maybe you'll line up with us more on the other end. You've talked before about the H2K and why the model isn't exactly where it needs to be. But H2K right now is favored minus 260 by the casinos against Unicorns of Love. That gives them a 72% chance, approximately, of winning the series. How does that match with what you're seeing when you do the numbers? Well, there's a pretty big difference. Uh, The numbers on my end are... H2K at around plus 2.35, and Unicorns at around plus 1.35, which calculates to a series price of H2K minus 135. Yeah. See, we can get minus 111 to have H2K win the series 3-1 or better. There's does not seem to be a lot of value. Yeah, this is a, about as big a difference between the actual betting line and my model as, as happens. Given the switch that we've seen late in the season for H2K, is the gap explained by this forgiven factor? Or given that you know those games are incorporated into the model to a certain extent, do you think there are other reasons why the line is so different? If you had to take a guess. Well... My uh, models really do seem to like UOL more than the the average person, and it seems to not like H2K as much as uh, the uh, you know you might if you were watching the games. So maybe you could move the line to like minus one fifty on the series, but by the numbers you can't really move it too far. So uh, my model definitely thinks there's value on unicorns here. But honestly, we did see these two teams go head-to-head near the end of the season, and HDK uh, did completely stomp them. So. Yes. Well, so I guess what you're saying here is that taking taking Unicorns of Love as a, a plus 195 is actually a smart bet? Yeah. Yeah, it really does like that bet. It says there's a big edge there. Interesting. I mean, plus 195 is... A lot nicer than the minus 111 we're getting for H2K right now. Plus, it means we get to root for Magic, Walter. I mean, screw it. We're a thousand points in the black. Let's go for it. <laughs> screw it. Okay. So, you so know Sometimes what? you got to bet on pink, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Steve wins the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, my God. That was beautiful. If we would uh, actually titled podcasts, that would be the title of this podcast. That would <laughs> Uh, it's okay. I do the write-ups on SlingshotEsports.com, which is where all of our podcasts are held. So I'll make sure that we can title at least the article there uh, and on Reddit. I can work it in because that is beautiful. And that is what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to trust the underdogs in both of these. One of these because the model tells us we should. And one of them because f- the model sometimes. So thanks again so much to Steve Kaffmeyer for showing up. Uh, we always appreciate your insight. Uh, hopefully, you'll appreciate the insight of us and all of the other lovely people on SlingshotEsports.com. They are our proud presenting sponsors, 
And there's so much wonderful esports content for you to take in and enjoy. If you love things like this, there are interviews with the LCK. There's, you know, still some stuff coming after the international. Uh, so many things going on in the Smash scene and everything else. What if it's an esport? They're covering it, and there's probably a writer that you're going to absolutely love. So you should definitely. So that's slingshotesports.com. You should also make sure to follow the podcast. You can find us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash esports rough drafts or on iTunes. If you search for rough drafts under the podcast section, you can also follow all of us on social media. I'm at Red Shirt King. Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? Well, before I get to that, oh. I do have to say, so we've seen both the hype videos be released by NA in Europe. NA using my boy Dyrus as a narrator. That yes. was kind of cool. That was kind of cool. I kind of like that. I kind of like thought about it. But Europe. Um, yeah, that was awful. <laughs> you can tell they were trying to go for like an Eastern thing with like the, the like the bird flying over like, I don't know, treasure castle type thing. It made absolutely no sense for Europe. Like literally made absolutely no sense. I don't know what they were trying to get at there. I was very disappointed. It was it was garbage. But yeah, you can you can see me complain about stupid minute and a half videos that Riot makes with their oodles and oodles of cash because no matter what you say, Mark Merrill, you don't lose money. You made a billion dollars in microtransactions last year. Let's not kid ourselves. But you guys can find me at C80s underscore LOL. Well, there goes not talking about it. Steve, if you want, uh, if people want to have a statistical more reasoned approach to all of these kinds of things. Where can people find you? You know, I'm not going to give you my Twitter handle. They're just going to have to watch NA. I'll tell you then. Oh, I like it. Well, you should come back for NA. We're going to talk about them tomorrow. We've got a very interesting third place matchup where Immortals have found themselves once again. And of course, it wasn't enough to have TSM versus CLG in the semifinals, we have to have TSM versus Cloud9 in the finals because NA is NA and storylines are all they do. So come back for that. And until then, goodbye, Internet.